Grizzle Pod, episode 12. We're back at it. Scott Wills, Tom George, Grizzle. <laughs> what is up? Happy to be back, man. Number 12 comes at you fast. Yeah, yeah. So first off, we got to thank our wonderful sponsor, Wide Charts. You know what powers us up. You know how we slay the big wins. Fundamental data, fundamental, and it doesn't get any better than uh, than Wide Charts. They, they bring it all in a nice, tight package. Good looking, too. I love the mix of the data and the visuals. Nobody's doing it as good as Y-Charts. So uh, you you see, we use Y-Charts all the time on the pod. We use it on our social. Uh, it powers us up, as Tom said. Yeah. So, Scott, agenda for today. Hit us. All righty. So first, we're, we're going to do a bit of a market update. You know that we like to do that. Our strategist, Chris Wood, is coming with another hot take. He thinks he should be buying cyclical stocks, even though they're down a bit recently. We also got to talk about the COVID situation in India. It's a sad state of affairs, but, you know, just put it in perspective versus developed world. We have some thoughts on that. And then next, we're talking about psychedelics. It was a big week for psychedelics because one of the bigger players who was only listed in Canada is now listed on the U.S. Did Wall Street bets, uh, you know, did it perk their interest? I'm not sure, but the stock did something. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk you through it. And then we got some tech earnings. We got hit hard and heavy with tech earnings last week. We're going to take you through what some of the themes we know. That's more. It's always more important to look at the themes versus a stock went up, a stock went down. So we're going to tell you what we noticed, uh, what your what the takeaways should be from tech. And then we have streaming. We did our third episode of uh, Grizzle Stock Safari, and it was on the streaming landscape. So I'm going to help you understand that a bit more. And we had some stocks that we thought looked interesting. So I'll talk you through those. And uh, and that is it. Jam-packed. Yeah, let's let's move yeah. it. Scott, we got, we got, we got stuff to get through. <laughs> we got through. work to do. <laughs> Market update. Let's talk to us. What, 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 we got a superstar strategist in Chris Wood. If you guys don't uh, already meet him regularly, uh, we were lucky enough, uh, fortunate enough to have one of the greatest partners in Chris Wood, uh, foundational member of Grizzle since day one. He is one of the most well-regarded global strategists in uh, in global equities, bar, bar none, the best. He has the best nose in, in the market, Scott. He just really does. He, he knows yeah, where the Yeah, he definitely keeps going. us on our toes. He's, he's talking to people all the time, all over the globe. And so he has a great nose for how the winds are shifting on a bigger level, not stock by stock, economies. And so we take that, we incorporate it into our views on individual stocks, and that's what makes the whole thing work so well. Yeah. So why don't we why don't we talk about cyclicals? Because that, yeah. that was the gist of what he wanted to talk about this week. I think it's worth looking at. We have a chart here that's looking at since the first vaccine was announced, how have cyclical stocks that the proxy for cyclicals is energy ETF and the bank ETF versus the market S&P 500. And we've seen that they've outperformed the market. Uh, the um, energy ETF is up 85% since the first vaccine was announced. The bank ETF is up 70. And then the S&P is up 30. So what, what Chris is saying is you can see there's been a little bit of a pullback lately in those cyclical industries. But he just thinks that's a breather. All the fundamentals that are in place to drive cyclicals up, you know, reopening. People have money in their pocket. They're going to spend you know, lockdowns go away, people go back out there driving, all those things are going to still work for cyclicals. So he's saying, you know, buy the dip. Makes sense, right? We're, we're just still early days. Things haven't really fully opened up yet. Yeah, exactly. 
So that was interesting, but he also hit a little bit on India just because cases are spiking there and kind of yeah. that's the world is focusing in on India. And, and, and he had and, a really. And, and Scott, I'll maybe I'll just give a little precursor here uh, for those that don't know. Uh, Chris Wood, uh, he, he uh, you know, he was the author, Greed and Fear, one of the most well-read uh, and it's still well-read strategy, uh, uh, strategy weekly papers. But uh, he's he's Asia based. Right. And that's that's uh, he knows his market very well. Yeah, this was nice. However much you try to focus on Asia, if you're in North America, it's just hard because he's out there and he's hearing from people who have been in those countries. And then he's at meetings and he's on the phone with these people. So he just has his finger on the pulse a little better. It would be much harder if you're in America or Canada to have your finger on the pulse like he does. So one good chart that he put together was just looking at COVID cases, like what countries are driving COVID up now? Because it used to be the U.S. and some developed countries. But now if you look at it, he took India, Turkey and Brazil out of the chart. And then so you have the entire world. You take India, Turkey, Brazil out. What does it look like? It looks like they're driving most of the cases because the case count for those countries is still going up. And then when you strip them out of the world, it looks like it's kind of flatlining because of the developed world, U.S., Europe, vaccines are rolling out, cases are going down. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. just it, it, it's now moved to if you're a vaccinated country, you're not contributing to the increase so much. If you're going to get vaccines later on, it's still the t- same tough situation. You, you know, hopefully you don't have to do lockdowns, but you're fighting the virus every day. Yeah, Scott, you had you know, we were talking earlier today. You had a great uh, tidbit there on Peru, right? Can you talk through that? Yeah. So I, I guess I was reading about Peru. Um, they, in Lima, the capital, they had COVID ripped through and they had a really bad first spike. And then they thought that, you know, it was kind of over. And so they didn't lock down for Christmas time. And so then they got another big one. But the one positive side of all of this is so many people got it that they did a test where they, uh, I think, were testing samples or the water or something like that. And they thought that like 40 or 50 percent of people in the capital already got it. Right. So then you're then you're getting close to herd immunity. So that's the one silver lining. Unfortunately, yep. you know, some people have to suffer to get there. If you just let it run rampant, you hit that herd immunity point sooner and then you kind of get through it that way. Whether it's vaccines or herd immunity, those are kind of two ways you can go. Yeah. And so I think, Tom, Tom, you were talking to me. You had an interesting number about how herd immunity relates to India. Yeah. So the, the, so you were mentioning the, the Peru point. I thought that was interesting. It, it kind of struck me. And then, I, then you know, I was paralleling that looking at, at this data here. So what they're suggesting is now the reported – the reported number of cases uh, in in India is seventeen point six million, but they but they believe that number is thirty times higher, right? Like they believe wow. it's significantly higher, right? So you're you're looking at a situation where you know this this could be you're you're getting close to a third or forty percent of the entire country that that has had COVID already. So you know wow. just just overlaying like are we Obviously, a tragic situation there, uh, but you're getting to a point where in that country you could be getting close to the end. So it's the beginning of the end, potentially. And then Chris mentioned with all the vaccines that India has access to, they have the Sputnik one from Russia. Yeah. They have uh, Novavax, I believe, and then they have one other one. If they if by the end of the year, they could get 70 to 75 percent of the population inoculated. So if there's, you know, 40 percent have already have and have antibodies 
that means they could get to that point where cases are really falling fast. Like it should be this year, even though it looks really bad. It's always darkest before the dawn. Yeah, yeah, right. And 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 th- you know, this was a challenge with America, and that was before you know real vaccine rollouts. At least we know there's a functioning vaccine, you know, global manufacturing that's happening that they can they can get to they can get to India, frankly, get to every country, right? That's uh, and and you know get to this flatlining. But that chart, uh, the data series of looking taking out problematic countries from the total gives you a, a real fresh picture about uh, where things are going. Yeah. Yeah. And I think from an economic point of view, it's better to either go to herd immunity or be vaccinated. Cause if you have those stilted lockdowns and then open and lockdowns, you know, India is important to the global economy. So yeah. if they were locking down and not being able to produce what they're producing, it would, it would mean it would be much harder for the global economy to come back from COVID. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, that's I mean, it's two different things, right? It's the economy and health, but uh, they're very interrelated with COVID. For sure. All right. Well, so that was that was a little bit of the market recap by the dip on cyclicals. Yeah. Now, uh, some of the other news was around psychedelics, right, Tom? Oh, yeah. So so we had uh, MindMed. So last Thursday, I believe, so uh, they'd announced that uh, MindMed had announced that they were going to get up, uh, uplist or they, they were going to get a, a – so currently – they were in Canada. My, so MindMed is one of, uh, I guess it would be considered one of the leading uh, psychedelic names in, in the burgeoning uh, public psychedelic market. How, and, how do you judge leading in psychedelics? Is it like research? Is it some other metric? Yeah, it's it's a it's a combination of portfolio, research, you know, wh- where they are in the pipeline. Like I would say, you know, Compass Pathways is the one that, you know, it was VC backed as as it has far more lineage whereas versus MindMed, much more scrappy way to start picking things up. But, you know, between MindMed, Compass Pathways, those are the two bigs uh, right now in psychedelics and, um, and, uh, mind med, if you think about it, they're, um, you know, they were listed in Canada, uh, CMPS w- was directly listed on the NASDAQ, Scott. So that, and it was listed on this, uh, the funny Neo exchange, which wow, is, is Neo even smaller than the CSE. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and I know there's proponents of this exchange. I, I, I'm not, you know, bottom line is I think, I, and I'm very old school like this. I just go on the TSX, go on the, go on the yeah. NASDAQ. Like, you know, why? Man, that's a big move from the Neo to a U.S. exchange. It's yeah. Like big time. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure. You know, and I know other companies cho- have chosen Neo and I'm not certain that's a, I, I'm not certain, you know, the, the thinking around that, but bottom line is if you're a stock, you want to get the maximum exposure and lo and behold, you know, they're saying they're going to be listed on the NASDAQ. That, that happened last Tuesday. Uh, stock what, absolutely what happened? ripped. I've, yeah. I've a chart. We have a chart here to look at what happened. It was uh, volatile. To so what, yeah. So what, what do we have? So this is a one-month performance chart. So, Scott, what are we up uh, on a one-month basis? 64%? Is that right? 64 and it was earlier last week up 90 yeah, so, so that, that's what every that's like the dream of every company that wants to list on a bigger exchange. Yeah. You get the liquidity, you get the interest. It all worked for MindMed last week. Yeah, exactly. So stock effectively doubled on this, gave back some. But what we're highlighting now is a, is a is an opportunity we believe is very real. Is so we've gone through a period for psychedelics where it's been, uh, you know, I just say they're just it's just it was a phase where no love particularly, like you know, not a lot of uh, not a lot of catalysts, not a lot of you know, it just it, it kind of fell out of favor. Uh, stocks languished. But now you're looking at a point where you're getting more coverage 
Uh, more people are looking at this space uh, and Compass Pathways. I think we we continue to believe this is one of our conviction calls. Uh, we continue to believe that there's real upside here now that that interest is coming back into psychedelics. We think that there's a real catch up trade here. Over the last month, Compass is up three percent. My Med is up sixty four percent. Scott, we believe that's as juicy as it gets uh, in terms of just you know these. This sector, things move together and you typically don't get, uh, you know, big differences like this, especially when we believe Compass is uh, right there, if not, you know, higher in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of opportunity, prospects, quality. Yeah, I mean, for for MindMed not to pull up Compass, MindMed would have to be falling, you know, a significant amount from here to get back in line with with where Compass is. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. It's just... I, I think we're the sector has was just basically was sleepy for the last three four months, Scott. And uh, you don't just wake up and then go right back to bed, right? <laughs> no, you know what no, I mean? No. It's like yeah. you, you know the uh, and right now, Scott, for better or worse, we're going through a sleepy period in cannabis, right? You know, everyone's like, do something. There's that classic meme of that guy with the stick poking, you know, that, 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 that you know, that illustration thing, but it, it, it is right. Everyone's like, ah, oh, do something. And that's the time when you really make money, Scott. We were talking about this earlier this week. It's during these sleepy phases for so many growth sectors. That's when you make money. Yeah, because stocks don't always go up all the time. And so you that's where you just need conviction that you know why you own something that's and right. they're flat for a while. And then you always see that. You see that in tech all the time. They go flat for six months, which seems like a long time in hindsight. But then when you if you look back even further, six months wasn't so bad. And then it rips. Yeah. So you, you don't want to be like, oh, do something. It's not doing anything. I'm giving up and then miss that when you already sat through four months. Good segue here to tech, right? But like, isn't there is there anything more classic than Amazon, Scott? Amazon was like, it was like basically everyone's like, do something, do something, and then COVID comes and the stock bloody explodes and takes over the world. Yeah, I it, this is a funny earnings because the big guys did so well that people were just like, why am I owning small software companies that right. are unproven when I can buy all these juggernauts that have millions of customers and they're still growing at like. 20, 30, 40%. Everyone was rethinking a little bit about going after the hot tech stock and not just buying the the leaders. Well, I'll tell you what else they're rethinking because the multiples aren't that crazy because, you know, just the the functional cash flow these things are producing, right? Uh, The the other aspect that's that's critical, you know, I think it's very big, is that it continues to say, like, why do you own much else? Why are you owning these old sleepy industries? Like, why? Yeah. Yeah. Like, we'll tell you, we only buy them as a trade because that's how cyclicals work. And so now is the time to do that. But we're never going to hold them long term and set it and forget it. That's 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 what Amazon's for. No, no, exactly. And like, you know, you got to, you know, but yeah, there's just so much, you know, like it's, there are so many old brands, you know, it's, there are, there's so much old industry in, in the S&P 500 that, you know, it's just, uh, you need to, you need to rethink it, right? And that's, that, that's what the Grizzle Pod's for, really. We're, we're. We're your, we're your basically your, you know, your dose of growth, uh, growth investing for the week. <laughs> that is, is, is your weekly dose of growth. We're going to remind you why you need to get it. Cut the bonds, <laughs> cut the, cut the cyclical, cut the energy, unless it's a trade. You, you go with your tech. So I, I had a good chart that we, we talked earlier this week when we did the review, just, uh, we went through 14 different names that reported through like Wednesday 
and looked at how did they perform right after earnings came out. So if earnings were in the morning, what did they open at? If earnings were at night, what were they up after, up or down after market? And so the uh, there's certain themes. I'd say the, the most blatant theme that I notice is if you were a business that consumers used when they were locked down at home, you're starting to struggle now because you had put up such great growth last year that just the comparisons start to look tough. And so investors are like kind of used to this growth. And then these guys, some of them are cutting expectations or they're just saying growth is going to be slower and the market doesn't really like that. So you have ones like Pinterest is down, Spotify is down on earnings, Sirius, Teladoc, um, Twitter, <laughs> yeah, yeah Twitter, that. Twitter was not in this chart, but <laughs> yeah, Twitter yeah. later. So, yeah. and then the ones that are winning are Facebook, Google, AMD, who does, um, uh, chips and then Apple, people are buying a lot visa, you know, crypto and, and all that stuff. And then the one surprise on the tech front was Shopify. They put up much better revenue. Um, the amount of goods that are purchased on their websites was much higher. So that was one of those that hasn't gotten that, you know, back to normal uh, headwind, but it could be coming in, in coming quarters. Yeah, Scott, you know what we should do? And I think it makes a ton of sense. You know, we should do like a kind of full, full kind of overview on, on Shopify because I'm getting a real feeling that it's starting to become not, it's not some sort of COVID pump and dumpy kind of thing where, you know, COVID goes by. I think these guys are turning into the real plumbing of, of commerce on the internet. And I, I think we need to, you know, it, it, it would be very valuable to really, you know, just get under the hood there, but it, it's an yeah. incredible business. It's because they're not just like leaning on, we created one business. We're going to drive that forever. They do little things like they started a lending arm. So if right. you opened a website and you needed to buy t-shirts to get started selling, they'd lend you the money for that and you pay it back through your revenue. So think about that. You would have been a, a buyer or a seller that could never have started. But because of that Shopify loan, you're now a new customer for Shopify. So that just amplifies what they're doing. And I have a feeling they're doing lots of those little things. They've worked with a firm, which is one of those companies where you buy something now and you pay it later. All that stuff is on top and just accelerates like the flywheel of the underlying business, which is powerful. That's amazing. It, 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 it kind of is like it's like a, a junior ant, right? Ant financial. Like, you know, like where you're you're not just offering whatever it is your SaaS, you know, whatever your service, your internet service, you're you're just saying, listen, I'll, I'll kind of backwards into into financial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that one deserves a deep dive. But so the big tech guys, they were the winners in this earnings season so far. Other ones were kind of flat, like a Boeing. It's just ugly because, you know, they're coming back, but they still had some some problems that were not related to coronavirus per se. Like they had electrical problems in a plane. Starbucks, uh, China was not as strong as people expected. That's a huge market for them. So that's why they were down. Tesla, it became more apparent that it's less about cars. It's more about crypto and other things. And so I think that made some people nervous because they're like, well, what's actually happening with the car business? Right. Uh, Because their earnings every quarter, it's been, I think, two years or more. They only their earnings are only positive because of these regulatory credits they can sell to other car companies, which now with other car companies ramping up electric vehicles, they won't need those credits. Okay. So that will go away. And then they made a bunch of money on crypto, which they sold some of. And so that made their numbers look good. So if you take that stuff out, selling cars, they're still unprofitable. That's what the haters of Tesla kind of harp on. 
Yeah. And, and you know what? The, I guess just to get kind of news flow, that uh, that car crash for Tesla where the, the battery yeah, that was, go Yeah, out. that was a tough news flow. Do, do you know what? That, you know, that one is a little different where it just really feels this whole um, – it highlights a couple issues, right? But you know, I know, I know, you know, Elon's tweeting can go from, you know, can go from that old euphoric doji coin kind of, you know, all, everything flying to now, you know, he's talking just like weird tweets about, uh, a, you know, autonomous vehicles and just full self driving. And but, but I have to say, really, it just really has highlighted some of the issues around self driving in terms of, okay, was this accident that basically it hit a tree? The thing was. Like the thing was burning, they had to call the fire department, right? It's kind of like, yeah. it's- do, do you know the story behind that? What what was going on before the crash? Oh no! Do you want to? Do you have insight on that? Yeah, yeah, I can tell you. So this is the problem that um, the the Tesla haters have with his his self driving claims is because he just says, you know, it's self driving. He says it's better than it is, and he gives consumers more comfort so that they go out and do some things that probably aren't really safe. And then the self-driving doesn't work exactly like it should. But he's doing that because the more people use self-driving, the more data he gets. So then he can solve the self-driving puzzle before a Google or someone else. But is is it at the expense of people's lives? So these guys, they got in the passenger seat and then behind and let the car drive. And then it just went around a corner and didn't see that there was a corner and just went off. And hit oh, jeez, man. So it's stuff like that. So other companies like Google are saying, right. we're not going to do that. We're going to build all this stuff in where you can't just do things like that. And so I think the backlash seems to be growing a bit on Tesla because the more you hear of these crashes that could have been avoided, you're like, maybe he should be a little more cautious with what he promises people that the tech can do right now. Yeah, and this is the, the you know you know I remember years ago I was having this debate. I said, listen, you know the whole self driving thing is just it's like it's it, it's a tricky thing in the sense that you know what I mean. Like if like let's just call like I'm crossing the road and and a, and a car hits me. It's one thing when I can see the driver and I have you know I have somebody I can point liability to. It's <laughs> yeah. just, if it's just a bloody machine, I'm like I'm going to court against the fucking algorithm. Come on, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the whole insurance part of it is going to be so complicated. I don't know how they can figure it, that out. It's like, you know, um, the, but the the other part that was the, the pushback, so there's that narrative. And I heard, you know, at least the Tesla fanboys and girls, I, but one of the basic fanboys um, on Twitter, uh, one of them was saying that basically uh, what happened was they uh, – the driver was there, Scott, because because Elon saying self driving wasn't on. I think that was one of his earlier tweets. Okay, so for, from this crash, this yeah, exactly, crash. exactly. Okay, so, so let me give you the alt alt university. So the the uh, basically um, the driver was there, somebody in the backseat or whatever. They uh, anyways, he loses control, hits the tree. No self driving on. This is kind of all from Tesla. And then, uh, but basically, the, it's even worse. They couldn't get out because of the doors. So they they were like going to the back of the car where the fire was and to escape the fire. And did someone escape? The driver, did they escape according no, to Tesla? No, they did like, because they all just burned in the car. But the reason there wasn't somebody sitting in the front seat because he was trying to get out. They were trying different doors. No, they were trying to get out the back escape. Uh, uh, right. So something, yeah. but the bottom line is. Who who will know, right? You you can't say either way because when you found the car, no one was driving. You don't know. So Tesla has that story. Other people yeah. are saying, maybe haters are saying one thing. 
But you know what? That you know, this is the one thing our pod won't do. We won't get into as other pods live on this. Grizzle will not. Uh, the whole Tesla, uh, uh, you know, the the anti-Tesla thing. It's there, or or even Tesla fanboy stuff. We're here to give you facts. Our, yeah, we're not, we're not going to go either way. We're going to no. say we heard this side, we heard that side. Uh, take it for what it is. We know popular pods that push the whole, you know, uh, alt narrative. You know, uh, Tesla Q, yada yada yada. Anyways, we don't do that. So that, that was what was going on with, with Tesla, but it seemed like it had a nice bounce back on Friday. So maybe some of the fanboys got some new checks or something. I don't know what happened, but yeah. they're driving that. Pump is back. So, I mean, while we're on tech, we should talk about kind of a, a little comparison because Twitter reported at the end of the week and we're on Twitter all the time. So it seems like we hear a lot about Twitter because people realize they're, they use it a lot and they realize it's powerful. Yeah. So they want to love the stock. But the stock has been disappointing lately. So we kind of wanted to compare a Facebook and Twitter. It seems like Facebook has some mojo, whether it's just from raising prices on ads. But Twitter keeps people get their hopes up and then they get disappointed. Yeah. It, you know, I would say Twitter really the the hopes for Twitter. And I think really when you look at the bulls on the stock, they just say, listen, this is an underutilized platform. This is arguably one of the most powerful social networks. When you think of presidents, presidents don't get on Instagram, talk to the world, right? And when you're looking for the most um, meaningful conversations in any genre, I, I'm not jumping on Instagram where comments can be deleted, right? It's uh, th This is tr where true conversations are being had. Uh, this is tr where true insights are being gleaned. It really because of the nature of it, how quick it is. There's a lot of good news on here. There's a lot of good analysis that's quick, that's ahead of like the mainstream. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that anyone can pop into the conversation, it's it, it really is it it really is something amazing. And in finance, I would say like Scott, right? In the last five years, it has now replaced so much of what research has been doing on on Wall Street in such. Oh, it's such a phenomenal way. I can't even, even, um, I can't even, you know, what's happening now. I don't even think about broker research that we were receiving. I don't even think about it, Scott. I don't even, I'm like, oh, I miss, I miss Bank of America. I don't actually. I don't <laughs> oh, miss. that, those hundred page reports on <laughs> yeah, nothing. I miss yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Research now is like, dun, 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 you know, basically dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Totally that. Dude. I saw a really good meme on research today where it's just always them catching up. Because you, if you just look over time and, and unless you're an amazing analyst, which you don't last as an analyst, you go out and manage money usually, you're always just following the stock price and writing reports. You know, when it goes up, raise your price target. Right. When it goes down, cut it to uh, underperform, whatever. Yeah. So we see, we see a lot of that. But uh, we, we had a good chart that is interesting. So number one in the stock performance over the last three years, Twitter and Facebook have been neck and neck which is interesting. So you would think that Facebook would be outperforming if they're making more money, they have more users. Twitter is disappointing, but it's been neck and neck. But if you look at valuation, it tells a little different story where Facebook was a much more expensive stock, say in 2016 than Twitter. But over time, that's come all the way down. And they traded pretty close together again on valuations, except for recently, Twitter popped because everyone was excited that they were bringing all these new this new functionality. Yeah. And that may still come, but the last six months of earnings have been two disappointments in a row. 
So Twitter's right back. Now, stocks are close together. The valuations are close together. So they seem very intertwined. I don't know if you have anything you want to add there. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's fascinating. And, and most would say it's unbelievable that, that you know, Twitter, uh, you know, just, just given how they really aren't, you, how it can trade at a premium to Facebook, right? It, it, you know, Facebook is this juggernaut. Mark Zuckerberg just probably, you know, just dropped another grand slam. It, you know, it's, it's, it really does show you the, 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 the flexibility they have there. But I guess the other side of this, Scott, is, is that there's two sides to this, right? And I can justify it. Twitter is an underutilized platform, right? If they can get a few things right, and people are saying, listen, there's a lot of different ways to think about it. You, you could include, like, you can have tipping, you can have, you, you just, you can have so many different aspects uh, just to just to get monetization at a much higher level than it is now. Um, so but, some of that must be built in. I mean, if it's still trading at a higher valuation of Facebook, people are hopeful that some that they just have a lot of room to monetize. If you look at it simply, I, I guess uh, you know we did some back of the envelope. Twitter has le- uh, like one tenth of uh, users but it makes much less than one-tenth what Facebook does. Yeah. So that's where the opportunity is to really up that monetization. That's right. And and just Facebook, just in terms of size of revenue capture, just so large, the market, you know, this is why, you know, you just look at it. It's been derating for the last, like, how is that a 10-year chart, right? It's been, it's like, it's been deep. So it's the, the valuation multiple has been coming down. Uh, and the reason is just, you know, law of large numbers, Scott. People are like, Hey, you know, you're getting pretty close to saturation. What, what, how many, you know, you're, you're, you've got a large component of the world. And I think one of the the issues here in the last three years, if you look at what TikTok has done, because let's, let's call it what it is. Instagram is really, you know, it's, it's the crown jewel right now for in, in Facebook's arsenal. Um, it TikTok, uh, so that's ByteDance's, uh, uh, you know, a viral sensation of, of an app. That's just taken a lot of it's taken a lot of the mojo away from Insta, man. Really has. Yeah, I mean, so Facebook is like what the boomers are on, and then Instagram used to be the hot thing. Now is it like millennials are on it, and then the generation Y, the you know ten to twenty, they're now on TikTok. Well, it's it's bigger than that too, Scott. You know what? Like if they're creeping up that, you know, they're creeping it up. Uh, you know, age, age group higher, but, you know, to your point, you always want to remain wrong, young and relevant, right? It's not, you know, you want to, you want to remain fresh, but it's, it's, yeah, do, doing great. Like the, no doubt that that platform's fun. And, and, and uh, you know, I think, I think that's, th- those are the, obviously the challenges, but let's be honest, like Facebook has WhatsApp, right? They, they, have, they haven't even turned on the monetization switch there. So. Yeah, that's true. And, and I, 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 the reality about that too is like as soon as they do, I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm not. <laughs> as soon as you try to jam a ad into WhatsApp, there's like a million different messenger apps. Please. Yeah, exactly. I mean, WhatsApp is so important to the international community. So I wonder, you know, do they put up with ads too? I don't know. Like well, Telegram uh, or Signal. Yeah. Or, you know, so it just got shows that people people don't like Facebook as much. The that's what the multiple tells you because they're hopeful for Twitter. And the multiple for the the multiple they're willing to pay of revenue or earnings or whatever it is keeps falling for Facebook. So it shows that people are even less hopeful about Facebook for whatever you know many different reasons. All right, streaming, streaming. So this is a big one this week. 
if you guys don't know, we do a, um, a Substack article. Uh, it's called Stock Safari. What we do is at Grizzle, we have views on where growth is going to come from the next 5, 10, 20 years. And there's these different sectors. So each week on our Substack, we go through one of those sectors and we'll help you understand why it's attractive, why is there growth. And then using our handy dandy, um, the way we screen for stocks, we have certain ways we do it that are our secret sauce. We find some stocks that look interesting within that theme. We'll give those to you. And then we also give you a list of all the companies in that theme. So you don't have to take our word for it and say, oh, I'm going to buy those two they recommended. I'm I I'm given the list so I can dig through it myself and kind of go from there. So we've had a lot of fun doing it. We've gone through three different sectors. I'd recommend checking that out if you're you're not on the list already. Yeah, it's uh, having, it's 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 a great way to familiarize yourself with you know what are the emerging new industries and uh, you know, Scott does a fantastic job of just you know highlighting high level the industry and then just. You know, coming down to, as Scott was saying, you know, we we have a way in which we look to find the winners, right? So at least you get you get that view. This is the equivalent of uh, missing, you know, Amazon and Apple and all those in, in 2008 or 2009. It's just because, you know, everyone has day jobs. Everyone has other things to do. You can't be looking through the market, figuring out what the next growth vector is. That's why we're here. We're on the hunt. Yeah. So we're trying to help you identify and then you can dig in from there, save you a bunch of time. Yeah. So this week was on media streaming. You know, that's very interesting. It impacts everyone. And it's been a big theme during COVID because obviously when COVID first hit, you saw Netflix barely went down. It's people are like, oh, what is everyone going to do? They're going to go on Netflix. But it's more complicated than that because remember the old cable box you had in your house did everything in, you know, 10 years ago. Now that's being unbundled. So the gist of it is, remember your cable box had all the content on it. You just needed to press on and you were there. You got all your content and the ads, the ad money was there. What's being unbundled the last few years due to Netflix and others is all that content. It's being pulled away. So Netflix now creates their own content. We have HBO has gone, you know, they're still on the cable, but they have a way that you can buy it outside of that. You have Hulu, you have a bunch of different things. You have the Roku box. So the content is becoming very fragmented. Yeah. And right now it's mainly you pay a monthly fee. There's not many ads. Like Hulu does ads, but Netflix doesn't. If you look at who, who does ads versus uh, subscription, there's more subscription out there. But the question is, there's still $50 billion of ad revenue on the box up for grabs. So I think the box is eventually going to go away just with the power of, of internet speeds. Why wouldn't you just have connected TVs, the streaming devices, you can just move all that content over. So the the, the way to play this is who's going to win that advertising battle? Who's going to capture the biggest share of that advertising? To, to give you a, for some perspective of where we are, that's such early days, we have this great chart that just shows connected TV ad advertising spending versus the traditional cable box. So as of 2020, there's still 52 billion up for grabs on the connected on the cable box and the connected TV ad spend is only 9 billion. So there's tons of growth ahead and as ads transition you want to say okay is it what it really comes down to is what does the cable box of the future look like? Is it a Roku because they own 40% of the market yeah. or is it just a connected TV because you can get all your YouTubes 
and your Netflix and Amazon Prime on either of those. So they're kind of in a battle to see who's the winner. So we look through at what companies have been raising guidance, what the stock is going down, uh, what are the valuations, a bunch of different things. And the one that stood out the most for us was the trade desk. It's ticker TDD. This one's interesting because they aren't reliant on any hardware. They're not like Roku where they sell hardware and you need to buy their box. They just place ads all over the digital ecosystem. Your iPad, your iPhone, desktop, wherever it is, they know a lot about you and they know how to target ads better. And so that one's very interesting because they win anyway. Roku, for example, is another one we like because they have such a huge install base with their boxes but they're more reliant on the box working and them upping the ad, the amount of ads that are delivered on the box. And what if the way you consume the streaming changes and you don't have a Roku box? Well, then, you know, they can't reach you versus the trade desk has their, their like, they're kind of like a little octopus. They have their tendrils everywhere. So trade desk is a very interesting one. So and that's ticker TTD. T, David, David. No, no, it's, I think it's TT. Scott, just uh, double check there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Check what we're talking about. So it's two T's? Yeah, two T's, yeah. Okay, TTD, and then Roku is R-O-K-U. Roku's interesting because they were kind of under the radar. Everyone bought the Roku boxes, and they're like, oh, there's just this lame box, but it gets me to my Netflix faster. They they realized, wow, if 40% of North America is using a a Roku box, we have a captive audience. So they started ramping up their advertising, Uh, And it's become like they control the customer relationship, which is powerful. So they've done a really good job ramping up their monetization of people on the Roku box. So they were kind of the darling of 2020. It it may take a breather for a bit, but again, the stock estimates are going up and the stock is down 20% since February, along with a lot of other streaming names. So that's when you want to be buying it. Now, when it's had a huge run in 2020, uh, I, I like when it's kind of off a bit, but overall, this is the, the theme in streaming. Advertising money is moving to streaming. You want to try to pick the winner who's going to capture the largest share of that. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, it's 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 really like things are just it, w- things are changing at warp speed right now. And you are making some great like the the points are just you know how advertising is going to right now. We're sitting in a world with streaming. We think Netflix. We just you know it's great. I know no ads, but you know, it's dollars talk at the end of the day, right? And they got to keep raising revenue. And it, it's how do you do that without, you know, without having people leave the platform? Because there, there's only going to be so much price increases that they can take. Yeah. So I can tell you two things. They interviewed, there was an interview done, well, a, a uh, kind of, you know, a questionnaire sent out to consumers. And they said, how much would you be willing to pay for all of your streaming services if you bundle them all together? They said, I don't really want to pay more than 20 bucks. Well, if you look at Netflix, the highest plan with 4K is already at like $15. So you're getting pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So consumers, what they're basically saying is we're used to ads on the old cable box. So we're willing to put up with ads on this if it means that we don't have to pay too much. Me, I'd rather save some time, but I'm the minority. So if everyone's saying we'll take the ads over the subscription, you're going to see subscription die out. And the future of the cable box will just be a media streaming box with ads, which looks very similar to the old school box. With ads. Amazing. Full circle. Full circle. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and man. the last thing I'd say 
is, you know, Netflix is one that you could mention because they started this whole streaming revolution. But if you compare a YouTube to a Netflix, YouTube makes more revenue on ads than Netflix does from subscriptions. And how much does YouTube pay for their content? Zero. This it's is you profound. and me making a cooking video versus Netflix spends billions on, you know, brand new series trying to hit it out of the park. So just from that angle, you're like, wow, YouTube is a powerful platform. Man, it, it just it's it that that's some crazy that's some crazy insight there, right? The fact that they're like it's it, it, and they don't pay a lick for content. And, and you had a great you had a great uh, graph that that was showing the increasing price of content production. It's it's just continues to go higher. Yeah, so th- there's a big war for content right now, you know, because there's a bunch of consumers up for grabs as they cut the cord. All these networks, all these streaming options, they want you to sign up with them. So they're just spending more and more on content. The winners are really the actors and the people making the content because they're yeah, making yeah. more money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's just tough for Netflix because their content costs are going up, which means if they don't raise rates on you, they make less money. So it's, it's, it's a tougher situation for Netflix. I think they'll find ways because they have, you know, millions and millions, 200 million subscribers. Um, they'll find a way. But the the golden age of Netflix, I think, is kind of over. No, no. Yeah, it, it's we, we've seen through it. So if you want more, go over to uh, grizzle.substack.com. That has the whole article. There's a lot more information there. Yeah. So, it's, uh, so uh, and just uh, just uh, by the by, uh, thank you if you are subscribed to the pod uh, and tell a friend, let, let people know. But if you want more of the d- details in, in terms of what we're putting out weekly, YouTube, etc., cetera, uh, go, to, go to grizzle.com, subscribe there. You'll get everything. You'll get the sub stack. Uh, you'll get um, – and you'll get the weekly uh, – and then the weekly email basically highlights all the, the key YouTube videos that we've done through the week. And if Hands you are, down, that's the easiest way to do it. You you go grizzle.com slash subscribe. You don't have to worry about anything we're doing. It's all there. Yeah. And, Only and, the greatest hits. Exactly. And and we, we try to keep it really streamlined. Like, we're not blasting you every day. We're giving you a, a concise weekender. And uh, and then you get the sub stack through, uh, on Wednesday. So it, it really is, a, you know, you're getting two hits that are just super value-packed. And then um, and then if, if you are a YouTube user... Uh, just go there and subscribe to us there. But if you're not, you're going to see it. You're going to see our stuff through the, the weekender. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, guys. Well, that, that was a uh, man. We, we, we covered a lot of ground, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Lots, lots of ground. That was, that, was a, that was a good week. It wasn't as crazy as it's been. There's always stuff happening in the market, but it just felt like things were more predictable for a change. So oh, and, I, I appreciate it. And there's there's a W in the week as well. Uh, uh, Mr. Ben Axler from uh, Spruce Point, pow pow. We got him. Uh, he uh, he ended up blocking me on Twitter because because uh, uh, you know what? A good he knew guy, he knew what he was doing. You called him out. He had to block you. <laughs> he had to block me. I'm like I'm like listen and listen. I threw it down. I said I'm not afraid of 50k. Let's go. You really believe this is a zero for Danimer? Uh, scientific. Yeah. Let's go 50k. If this is if yeah, you have, no brainer, no brainer. This is conviction. You have conviction. Do it. But these guys, they won't even they won't even put 50k on the line. Get out of here. It, yeah, it's such a joke because they don't think it's a zero. That's the whole thing. So it's you, you should just do that to everyone who writes the short report, right? No <laughs> one's going to take your bet. No one's going to take. I, like, listen, you really believe it's zero? If you really believe it's zero and you have conviction, this is going to nothing. Just show be 
free to A, show us what outstanding short position you still have. You'll, that, you know, that's at least fair. You can delay it by a couple of days, but let the market know where your conviction level is. Yeah, well, um, if, if you really want this to move in your favor and you want to show conviction, that's the way you can do it. Totally. Or B, uh, when guys like me call you out and you say, listen, I'll bet you, no problem. I believe it will go to zero. But the reality is what, what Ben Axler, Spruce Point, uh, these, these what I call, uh, you know, these are smash and grab short uh, short funds that basically just go for a shock and awe, get the money, get out, and then they never really talk about the stock after that. Yeah, yeah, they try to scare you so that they can make money over four hours or something like that, and they That's tell right. you it's going to zero, and then they're out of the trade after a few hours. Yeah, exactly. And for these kind of guys, like you know, the, like four hours, like a. Getting seven percent, ten percent in a four hour—that's like a you know that's that's a that's a year for a lot of these guys. Yeah, yeah. So it, it works. I mean, we we don't like it. We think it should change. There should be more disclosure. So we're gonna, we're going to keep being a thorn in their sides if they're going to do that stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. Don't don't come rattle Grizzle's cage. We'll, we'll no. rattle it back. Yeah, and don't tell us we don't understand short selling because Grizzle was founded on a short report. So yeah, exactly. We, we know how it works. We know the game. We're not saying the sh the, that short reports are inherently bad. The point about them is that is that what you have to say is we called the Canadian cannabis bubble, and if people listen to us, they saved a lot of money, and we never, we, you know, we 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 showed it with facts. It was fundamentally driven, but it wasn't one of these like. Just scandalous, da da da, zero dollars. You know, we, we walked you through our price assumptions to where the targets were that ultimately ended up coming through true. And then we threw, we had followed the industry and did tons of articles showing the different cracks in the armor, basically. So if you didn't believe the first report, you just keep seeing that it's tough times for this company, tough times for that company. You're like, hmm, maybe something's, maybe it's not so as rosy as I thought or yeah. I was told. And that was the Canadian Canadian cannabis industry. The U.S. just to be very clear is a different beast. Uh, it's uh, it. I would say a management teams are infinitely better, and b the opportunity is significantly larger. Oh yes, D different world. U.S. versus Canada right now. For sure. Well, Scott, that's a win. Alrighty. Thank you everyone for uh, for joining us again. We'll do it again. Number thirteen is coming next week. You know it. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. <laughs>